story of amazing love, one of the lines in the first song that we sang, and that's the story of the Bible, that Christ came because how much God loves us. Of the elements we've studied and pondered for Advent, hope, and then peace, and then joy, and then finally today, love. Love is perhaps the one that impacts us the most. You know, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul specifically says, um, we have these, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is is love. Um, love is something that in the Hebrew and in the Greek, as well as in the English, is used for a variety of different things. We probably f- think we have a better grasp than we actually do, to be perfectly honest. So... In Hebrew and in Greek, just as in English, um, the words can have a, a range of variety uh, of meanings. Hebrew words ahav and chesed can speak of the relationship between spouses, between husband to wife and wife to husband. can speak of the relationship of parents to children. It can speak of the relationship between friends, and it can even speak towards inanimate objects. Typically in the Old Testament, it's Jerusalem or the temple, and today we might talk about loving fried chicken or loving chocolate cake, right? Um, Not exactly the same, but similar, right? Uh, Inanimate objects. So very much similar. The, The other word, the Hebrew word chesed, can speak of a, a, a steadfast, loyal, abiding love. A lot of times our uh, modern translations struggle to translate that word and wind up with the term like steadfast love or like the King James would use loving kindness. It's a word that incorporates compassion and kindness and grace and mercy and love. The Greek words are also very similar. They speak of God's love for Israel and then God's love for individual people. And finally, it speaks of our love for God. We know Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hung on two things. What? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and soul. And the second is like it. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that all the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, hung on those two things. So, somewhat like we've done the rest of the month, to kind of go through and what does the Bible say about each of these topics would probably be more than we could bite off for love. It appears far more often than other uh, terms that we've looked at, the Hebrew words, uh, the Greek words. So I want to look at, at, at two passages of Scripture, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament, that are not really Christmas story passages. But I think they speak to this idea of love and what we're singing about this morning. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to spend a little bit of time and then fast forward into 1 John chapter 4. Exodus chapter 34, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. This is an incredibly important passage of Scripture, uh, as they all are, but for who God is and how He has revealed Himself. One of the issues, I think, throughout time is that people have tried to create their own versions of God. 
In Genesis 11, they build a tower. We know it as the Tower of Babel, and they were trying to get toward God. You've got all kinds of cultures created mythologies to try to explain natural phenomenon. The Greeks had their mythology. The Romans had their mythology. But even way before that, Egyptians and every culture had their mythologies to try to explain who else is out there. And we have the scriptures, and we have specifically in this passage how Yahweh, the one true living God, expressed himself. And here's how he proclaimed who he was. Verse 1 gets us the context. The Lord, all caps, so Yahweh, said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Hey, remember that the other two had been destroyed when Moses came down off the mountain and the people were worshiping a golden calf, not how Yahweh had revealed himself. So he says, cut, cut these tablets like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to see the importance of that statement. The Lord descended, okay, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. All right, so this is the identification of who Yahweh our God is, the one that we are here to sing praises to and about, the one that we are to reveal through the reading of and preaching of his word. Here he reveals it. The proclamation of my name, I introduce myself and I say, hi, my name is Derek. Okay, here uh, may not tell you a whole lot about me. In the in the ancient context and especially in the scriptures, the revealing of the name of something revealed quite a bit. Okay, and so you see in that verse five, the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. All right, and then what comes after it is. Theologians call this the proclamation of the name. I mean, this is one of those texts that you ought to understand and know and, 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 and grab hold to. Verse 6 then, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So this is what he proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So that's one of those Hebrews words, he, uh, steadfast love. And faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, there it is again, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. So far, this is fantastic, right? This is who I am, Moses, and this is who you are to reveal me to be to the people. I am making a covenant with your people. I heard you, I heard your people, I, I, I brought Abram to the land that I, I was preparing for him. Uh, 
working through him. I blessed him through seasons of barrenness. I blessed him through Isaac and then through Jacob and the sons. Joseph brought them to Egypt. Moses, I heard and I saw the slavery and the oppression and what you were dealing with. And I've brought you and I'm taking you to the land that I had promised all those centuries ago. And I want this is who you to reveal. This is who they need to know I am. A God merciful and gracious, right? Slow to anger. That ought to, that ought to make our ears perk up. Because we deserve a lot of the anger. But He's a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and, thank, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who God is. And then the rest of the phrase brings us one of the great paradoxes in all of Scripture. If you read, keep reading. So we, we don't get to just stop where I stopped. We've got to keep pressing forward. And it says, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This great paradox is that we have a God, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in steadfast love for thousands, keeping that love forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he will by no means clear the guilty. And the struggle that we have is by this point in Exodus, we ought to remember what we learned in Genesis 3. That mankind has plunged desperately underneath the curse of sin and death. Because of mankind's disobedience, we are str- all relationships are strained. The relationship between man and the earth is strained. The relationships, they're, they're broken. I love the song we just got through singing, Come, O Come, All You Unfaithful. At first, it's like, whoa, man, that's supposed to be faithful there. I've known this song all my life. But when you listen to the words of the song, come, broken ones, weak and unstable ones, barren and waiting ones, Christ is born for you. See, that's the message is that you don't have to be perfect for this to be something you uh, that means something to you. As a matter of fact, no one is. We've got a God who is merciful and gracious, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And in Exodus, it sets us up for what we find in the gospel stories. There's a God who's merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. But since he will not clear the guilty, someone has to pay the wrath for sin. And God himself did so in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ. And listen, that's why we worship, that's why we sing, that's why we praise, that's why we follow, that's why we obey the commandments, that's why we love our neighbor and love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's why we go the extra step, that's why we forgive and keep on forgiving, is because He is worthy and He died the death that I deserve. This is who God reveals Himself to be and it sets up a paradox 
I think that carries throughout the sacrificial system is brought into place. And the Israelites assumed, look, I, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm a mess, but all I've got to do is just, I've, I've just got to bring a lamb. I've just got to bring, I've just got to bring a burnt offering. I've just got to bring the thing. And then in the New Testament, we find that the blood of bulls and goats was a picture for us of the perfect lamb that was going to come. That was going to be the seed of woman that would crush the head of our enemy. That would be the son of Abraham. It would be the one through all, all the families of the earth would be blessed through would be the son of David who would reign as king of kings and lord of lords forever. See, we, we worship one not just who is meek and mild, lowly in that manger, but one who is returning glorified and victorious to reign forever. There's no one that will be apart from his reign. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sin. He will put it all down. So Exodus 34 sets us up for the rest of the story of Scripture. How can he by no means clear the guilty and let yet show steadfast love for thousands when everyone is guilty? We know that from our own experience. We know we're guilty. We know that from the Scripture when Paul says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the psalmist says there is none righteous, no, not one, we know that we're guilty. And fortunately, in the New Testament, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. So if you will, go over there with me to 1 John chapter 4. How is this God going to do all of that, show that abundant love, that steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and yet still at the same time by no means clear the guilty? John gives us a little snippet of that here in 1 John chapter 4. Start reading with me in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. So in the context here, John is trying to press you and me to love one another. That's John's main goal. But John's going to draw on something that he assumes everybody that's reading it is going to buy into. And it reveals kind of the answer of what we were talking about. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we see love is from God and God is love. Okay, And so here's the argument. Since you are claiming to be a part of this God, that you're claiming to follow this God, this is you ought to love one another because this is the characteristic most prominent in him. Verse 9, he says, okay, so if this is the, the, the characteristic most prominent in him, how can we know God's love? In verse 9, John says that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, I want you to see this real quickly. It is evidence of God's love when you wake up every morning. It is evidence of God's love when you walk out and, and you hear birds singing. It is evidence of God's love when you see a, a beautiful sunrise or sunset. 
It is evidence of God's love when you hear the waves crashing onto the beach. It is evidence of God's love when you step out into the woods and you're able to just kind of enjoy nature. Okay, All of those are evidences of God's love. But according to the scripture here and according to John the Apostle, those pale in comparison to the evidence that we find in the giving of his son to die on the cross. In this, verse 9 says, the love of God was made manifest among us, not that God provided sunrises, but that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do y'all see that? The, the experiencing God study, Henry Blackaby, many of you have done that. Our church has done that study numerous times and other Blackaby studies. But from that very first one, experiencing God, and I may mess the quote up, but basically there's a snippet in there that speaks of how much God loves us. And it, it, here's what the main, here's my paraphrase. If you ever question whether God loves you, look at the cross. So no matter if disease comes and tragedy strikes and there's heartache after heartache after heartache, see it, see through, put the cross in front of it and try to see it through the cross and never question whether or not God loves you for that is the greatest evidence of God's love that he sent his son. So when there's loss, when there's heartache, when there's trial, when there's struggle, when there's uncertainty, when there's I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, when there's when there's trouble with today, when there's trouble with next month, when there's trouble with what are we going to do then, see it through the lens of the cross. God saw you and he sent forth his only son so that if you would believe in him, you would have everlasting life and you would not perish, but have that everlasting life. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that's what John is getting at. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of for our sins. All right, this is how we know about God's love. Not that we've worked up and know and love God enough. It's that He loved us and knew that you were guilty, knew you were weak, knew you were unstable, knew you were desperate, knew you had no hope on your own knew that you couldn't figure it out on your own, knew that there would be far more days when you would be face down without any chance than other situations, and God loved you enough that He sent His Son then. Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God shows His love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, all that I've said and all we've preached all this month and all we've sang this morning is to hold out the hope for you to come. You don't have to have it figured out. There's one who died for broken, messed up people that have no hope in themselves. Okay, Because that's all any of us are. He came for that. Love is commanded from the followers of Jesus. We are most like Him when we are obedient to this, to love one another, to love our enemies, to pray and love for the, love those who persecute us. Listen, because He loves us, He hears our cries. 
Don't, don't feel like I'm so guilty. Preacher, you don't know what I've done. Preacher, you don't know what I've thought. Preacher, you don't know what I've said. Preacher, you don't know how... how it doesn't matter. There is one who, who hears our cries when we are repentant and cry out. We talked about that on Wednesday night. There's one in the Exodus chapter 2. I'm not going to go there for time's sake, but in Exodus 2, the people are enslaved and they're in slavery and God speaks that he had heard. He remembered his covenant. He, he saw their predicament and he knew what they were going through and immediately then he brings a deliverer, Moses. It's like the same thing is still true for us, but the deliverer is not Moses. It's one that the book of Hebrews says is far better than Moses. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the perfect one, the Lamb that was slain, the one who is right now our advocate, our mediator at the right hand of the Father. Listen, because He loves us, He hears our cries. Because He loves us, He heals our hurts and our broken hearts. Because He loves us, He gives us hope that we talked about a few weeks ago and peace that we talked about two weeks ago and joy that we talked about last week. He gives us those things. He gives us rest. Come, all that are that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're like me, this year has, has been difficult and perhaps you need rest. Listen, there's only the rest that He can give. That's the only true rest. He has sent the Redeemer. He bore our sins in His body on the tree. He died for us. So listen, no matter what you are dealing with today, whether it's loss, whether it's hurt, whether it's tragedy, whether it's grief, whether it's fear or worry, addiction anxiety, broken relationship. Listen, the words of that song, if you're broken, if you're weak, if you're unstable, if you're guilty, come. He hears, He knows, and He loves you. Will you pray with us as our worship team comes back to lead us? Father, we we need you. And I am grateful, Lord, that we can have a capacity to love because you first loved us. Lord, there desperately needs to be more love in this world. There needs to be more love from believers toward other believers. There needs to be more love between uh, within families. There needs to be more love. But I'm grateful that uh, you first loved us. And I'm grateful for all of the things like sunrises and sunsets and... Uh, the beauty of nature. I'm grateful for those things. They are evidences of your love, but I'm most thankful for the cross and that through it we can have life. And I'm grateful that you hold out the invitation for the weak and the unstable and the weary ones to come, that you will give them rest. And so, Lord, there's no magic in walking an aisle today, but God, there is a grace in coming to you surrendering everything to you and, and, and following after you. So, Lord, I pray that today. I pray, God, that you would speak, your people would hear and respond. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you st-